Good evening, and I'm so happy and privileged to, to be able to talk to you this evening. We want to thank Brother Eric Owens, who is the minister of the Avondale Church of Christ there in Decatur, Georgia, for putting this together, this digital Bible study. It is a great work. We appreciate his vision. We appreciate the fact that he realizes that, that even in the middle of this pandemic, when the nation is in a uproar, when we are uh, more or less uh, unsettled and fearful, that this will be a good time to turn people to the Word of God, to make them listen to those things which are written within God's book divine, and to do everything possible to help us understand who is in charge, who is in control, and who uh, gives us all of his providential care. As the scriptures say, in him we live, we move, and we have our being. Here at the studios of Eternal Truth Broadcasting Network, ETBN, that we are just beginning here in Memphis, Tennessee, to assist many other great works like GBN and the Digital Bible Study and World Bible Study and so many other works that are going on around our country uh, to help us preach the gospel in this unsure, unsettled, and fearful time that we are living in. We ask your prayers always because all of us understand what we're dealing with. We understand the times that we are living in, and this is a time when, as Solomon said a long time ago, let us hear the conclusion to the whole matter. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. I want you to think about a few things in the time which I have, have this evening. We have heard a good lesson from Brother Tony D. Berry, from Brother David Williams, from Brother Aaron Cozart. All of them have preached lessons that will strengthen us in a time in which we live. But I would like for you to turn to a thought, uh, something that the Lord said that encourages me and keeps me focused on the task that is at hand, the work that is at hand, the battle that is at hand, and what we uh, as Christians, every one of us, should keep in mind as we go through the times in which we live. In the book of Mark chapter 4, and verses 40, that was a time when Jesus was on a ship with his disciples. He had been preaching. He gets on a boat, and they are going to the other side of the sea. And in the midst of this, God loves to give us an example by putting us in the midst of trouble where there is nowhere to turn but to him. He did it to Israel as they stood on the banks of the Red Sea. And as the mountains were on either side and Pharaoh was behind them, Moses gave them the advice that saved their lives. Stand still, stand still. In essence, even though they were trapped and there was nothing that they could do, there is never a time uh, that God can't do those things uh, that strengthen us, help us, and lead us. So in Mark chapter 4, when the apostles were on the ship and Jesus is down in the bottom of the ship and Jesus is tired. He, he had walked for miles. He had preached. He had fed people. He'd healed people. And on this occasion, the Bible lets me know that God brought a storm. Nobody but God can bring the type of storm that quick uh, in a sea that was calm. And all of a sudden, there is a storm. The disciples began to do everything they could as sailors, as boatmen and seamen, uh, to calm the boat and to be able to uh, be safe. But they realized that they were overwhelmed. There was nothing that they could do. 
to save the boat. They went down to the Lord and they said, Master, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Lord, don't you care that we're having some troubles at this time, that the boat might sink, that we may drown? And they're down there. Can you see them going to the bottom of the boat to wake up the Lord who is trying to rest? And you're on a boat that the Lord is on that boat, and you are afraid. Jesus came up to the top of the boat, the Bible tells me, and Jesus rebuked the wind. He rebuked the trouble. He rebuked the storm. And Jesus said, peace, be still. And the powerful voice of my Lord and my Savior, Jesus Christ, calmed that storm. And the apostles had another example of the power of the Son of God, and they could only shake their heads and say, what kind of man is this that even the winds, the waves, the storms obey him? Well, every one of us should keep that in mind. The apostles lost sight of that for a minute, and they were afraid. They lost sight of who was on the boat, and they were afraid. They lost sight of who was in charge, who is in control, and they were afraid. And you know what Jesus asked them there in verses 40 of Mark chapter 4? When Jesus finished rebuking the wind, when everything calmed down, when the boat stopped rocking, the wind stopped blowing, and the storm disappeared, he said unto them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? On this occasion, the Lord asked a question, that could possibly be asked of every Christian living in, in the times in which we live today. Why are you so fearful? If you look at that word fearful from the Greek, it means timid. He's saying, why are you so timid? And as we look around us today, where those who are the mighty men of industry and business and the media of academia, where they are saying everything against the name of God and against God's people. They hold the Bible up as an old Bronze Age book that has no relevance, that nobody needs to listen to anymore. They talk about Christians and say that we are narrow-minded and closed-minded and antique and on the wrong side of history. And unfortunately, there are so many of us who are fearful as though the power of man is going to overpower, overtake, and overwhelm the power of God. I want you to remember, remember something. I believe Tony quoted it during his lesson this evening, something that Isaiah said. God said, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, for my thoughts are as far above your thoughts and ways as the heavens are above the earth. If you don't mind me paraphrasing there, what God is saying, there is nothing about you that compares to anything about me. And the Lord wants all of us to understand that he says, my strategy is not your strategy. I want you to remember one time when the Lord was coming out to meet the disciples another occasion when they are on the boat and Jesus is walking on the water. I want you to imagine you're on a boat and there is a figure walking on the water toward you. Peter said, Lord, is that you? Peter, and the Lord says, yes. He says, let me come out, if you don't mind me paraphrasing, let me come out where you are. And you know what? Jesus didn't do a lot of talking. All that Jesus said was, come. 
in essence, in our vernacular, come on. Yeah, if you're gonna if you're gonna walk on the water, come on out here. Walk on the water. Peter steps out on the water and he walks toward the Lord. And here again, indigenous and metaphorically of what happens to us in life, the storms, the troubles, the wind, the waves, Peter looks around him and realizing he's standing in a place where he is vulnerable. He is on the water. And the Bible lets me know that Peter began to sink. All of a sudden, this man who wanted to be a big shot and walk on the water, he's beginning to sink. And immediately, Jesus walked forth and he stretched forth his hand. He grabs Peter's hand and he brings Peter back up on the water. And the Lord, if he had been like many of us, he would have said, oh yeah, Peter, good try, Peter. Oh, Peter, the rest, everybody else stayed in the boat. You were the only one, Peter, who made a, made a try. Oh, Peter, I'm proud of you for making an attempt. No, the Lord doesn't try to patronize us when we fail, when we lose our faith, when we don't have the strength to be and do what we ought to be. You know what the Lord said to Peter? He said, oh, thou of little faith. Wherefore did thou doubt? Matthew chapter 14 and verses 31. The Lord said, Peter, why did you lose your faith? Peter, you did. Why did you take your eyes off of me? Peter, why did you take your eyes off the prize, off the mission, off of the things that would sustain you and take care of you? How many of us today, my brothers and sisters who are listening to me, how many of us have taken our eyes off of the Lord? We've taken our mind off of his power and his majesty and his glory and his ability. As it was said one time, is there anything too hard for God? How many of us think it's too hard to turn the world around? It's too hard to preach the gospel. It's too hard to stand for what is right. It's too hard to be a Christian. It's too hard to live a righteous life to raise righteous children, to have righteous relationships. How many of us have given up because we're listening to everybody but God? Our eyes are everywhere but on the Lord. As Peter began to sink, so are many of us beginning to sink. And like the Lord is saying, where is your faith? When Jesus prayed for the disciples, he's worried about them. And he's praying for them. And when Jesus prayed for them in John chapter 17, verses 14 through verses 17, Jesus said, I have given them thy word as he talks to his father, knowing that the persecution is coming, that the troubles are coming, the trials are coming, as Aaron just said a moment ago, that they're going to unleash all types of misery on God's people in the midst of the Roman Empire and the corrupt uh, uh, Jews and leaders, rather, of, 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 of Jude the Judea's faith. They're going to unleash all types of troubles upon them. In Matthew chapter 17, and verses 14 through verses 17, Jesus said, I have given them thy word, and they are not of the world, even as I, Jesus said, am not of the world. 
Jesus went on to say to his father, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world or remove the troubles or remove the trials or remove the tribulations, which are most certainly going to come. But he said that thou shouldest keep them from evil. That word keeps means to protect. A keep is a wall of protection. What his Lord is saying is keep them. How does he keep all of us? This is why we are taught. And this is why we preach that we might receive with meekness the engrafted or implanted word of God, which is able to save your soul. And you could supplant the word keep your soul in that. The Apostle Paul in the book of Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and verses 2, when he is speaking to the brethren as he wrote to the church at Rome in a circular letter that was given to the Romans, Paul said, I beseech you, I beseech you, I beg you, brethren, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And then notice how he says, this is how you keep yourself. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed, Paul said, by the renewing of your mind. And as Paul said, if you're going to be able to keep and have protection and guard yourself in this world, then you've got to receive with meekness the engrafted word of God. Why? Because Jesus did not mix words. He told us, he told the disciples, and he tells us today of the type of world that we live in in the book of John chapter 15, and verses 18, the Lord said, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the Lord said, if you were like everybody else, live like everybody else, acted like everybody else, dressed and carried yourself like everybody else. The Lord said, if you were of the world, the world would love its own, but because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you, I have led you, I have taught you out of the world, therefore, he says, the world hates you. I think it's hard for some of us as Christians to grasp the concept and to understand the environment that we live in. The world hates you. They don't just dislike you. You don't just make them uncomfortable. They hate you. There is a dislike for everything you stand for, for everything you teach, you preach, for everything that forms your belief system and the foundation of your faith. They hate you for that just as they hate it. Uh, Jesus, there's only been one man in the entire history of mankind who didn't sin, who didn't fall for the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life, and that was Jesus, as was spoken, as Tony talked about, in the statue of a fool. How many fools have we seen in the Scripture who allowed one of those temptations to tear them down and destroy them. Just one man, his name was Jesus. Only one man said no to the lust of the flesh, no 
to the lust of the eye, no to the pride of life. And guess what happened to him? The best man that ever lived was nailed to a cross like a dog, beaten half to death on the scourging post, spit in his face, slapped upside his head and a crown of thorns placed upon his head. If this happened to Jesus, what makes us so special that we don't understand that the Lord said that the world hates you, it hated me first. What is the Lord saying? If they hated me for the principles I stood for, for the truth that I preached, for the gospel that I brought, for the father that I serve, when you do the same things, they're going to hate you too. Many of us have got to come to a grasp in the time in which we live. This is your time. We've been talking about the apostle Paul having his head severed on the chopping block. We've been talking about Peter crucified, James with a sword going in his belly and coming out of his back, Matthew killed in Ethiopia. What about you? How many of us have abdicated our responsibility because of fear? When it's time to stand that you, you don't stand, when it's time to speak that you close your mouth, when it's time to fight that you lay down your spiritual weapons, when it's time to to lift the name of Christ up, who said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. How many of us are afraid to lift up that name because of the environment that we live in, in this world? In the book of 1 John chapter 2, verses 23, John lays it out very succinctly. He said, whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father, but he that acknowledged the Son hath the Father also. In other words, John is saying, when you stand for the Lord, you're standing for the Father. When you refuse to defend the Lord's name, you're not defending the Father's name either. Basically, we've got to call it like it is. You can't sugarcoat this. We can't play around with this. We cannot sidestep the responsibility that has been laid in our charge in the time in which we live. In the book of Matthew chapter 10 and verses 16, there, Jesus said it very clearly of your job description as ministers and elders and deacons and teachers and disciples of the Lord. The Lord said, behold, behold, I send you forth as sheep among wolves. Be you therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. The Lord didn't say, I'm sending you out to a crystal stair. The Lord didn't say, folks are going to love you when they see you coming. The Lord didn't say they're going to receive every word that you speak the way they did on Pentecost, crying, men and brethren, what must we do? Just the opposite. The Lord said, I'm sending you to the slaughter. And a lot of us fail to understand what the Lord is trying to tell us. He said, beware of men. In verses 17 of that chapter, Matthew chapter 10, he said, beware of men, for they shall deliver you up to the councils and will scourge you in the synagogues and you shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake for the testimony against them 
and the Gentiles. Jesus is saying we need to show wisdom in the face of those things that are happening. Our Lord was killed on a Roman cross. It was a political execution by the Jews, by those individuals in that faith that had corrupted their faith. Judaism at that time had become corrupt, just a corrupt political organization in the Roman Empire. Jesus was bad politics. Jesus was not good for business. Jesus was not good for the position of the high priest and other big shots in the temple. Jesus had to be eliminated. Don't you understand that there will be those who want you eliminated? They'll want you eliminated from your job, from your teaching position because you happen to have had a Bible in your desk drawer, from your coaching position because you happen to have led a prayer with your players before the game started, from your corporate position because you won't rubber stamp evil and wickedness. As David said earlier, those that call good wicked and wicked good in essence. That's the world that we live in. Paul gives us a little bit of advice in Matthew chapter 5 and verses 15. Paul says, walk circumspectly. What are you saying, Paul? Paul says, walk according to God's word. Be careful where you step. Don't let anybody just lead you around. David said it well in the first Psalm. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in that law doth he meditate day and night. When you start walking with sinners, you start sitting with sinners, you start uh, listening to sinners, and then you become one. That's the progressiveness of sin that David is talking about. David, who started out, if you don't mind me saying, as a peeping Tom and ends up a murderer, a liar, an adulterer, a conspirator because of the progressiveness of sin. So Paul says in Colossians chapter 4 and verses 5 that we should walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. And that's as Paul is saying, let people see the difference between you and them. Put a difference between the holy and the profane, a difference between the people of God and all of them that are in the world. But don't think they're going to like you for it. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 12 and verses 13, Paul said, Yea, and all that live godly shall. He didn't say might, could, maybe. He said shall shall suffer persecutions. Why, Paul? He says in verses 13, a very good reason, Paul said, because evil men and seducers, those that can talk, those who can lead people, those who can get into their minds and captivate them, those who can tempt people and lead them and brainwash them. I tell folk, everywhere I go around this country, that the first casualty of war is the truth. And the devil don't want you to have the truth. And he has seducers and evil men who can captivate and tantalize people to do things which are not right, which are not natural, 
which are not godly. In this nation where we have killed over 50 million unborn babies, snatched them from the one place that ought to be the safest place in the world for a child, his or her mother's womb. And we have turned them into human garbage. I've often wondered how a human male and a human female could get together and have something that wasn't human. We have allowed the devil to get inside of our heads. And in this nation that once with pride said, in God we trust, have thrust God out of the marketplace, dared God to come into the schools, put God out of our child rearing, out of our relationships. And we have allowed ourselves to become the type of people that God has had to destroy their nations. Lord, have mercy if we don't turn to God and turn back to those things that are right before we destroy one of the greatest nations in the history of mankind. That means that you and I, we've got to develop a backbone. We got to get strong. We've got to stop this soft talking and moonwalking and capitulating and apologizing and doing everything but passionately preaching the gospel and standing. Jesus didn't give up on us. And how many of us are giving up for him and on him? Jesus stood for us. He took our beating. Jesus didn't just die for our sins. Jesus died in our place. We deserve death. Jesus did not. The only man who has never sinned. So James said it this way. In the book of James chapter 1 and verses 12, James said, Blessed, blessed, blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. James said, you get your crown by enduring, enduring. Folks say Paul endured because he was strong. No, you got it backwards. Paul was strong because he endured. When you endure, then you become strong. When you stand, then you become strong. When your voice is heard and you're vocal and visible and passionate, about what the Lord tells you to do, then you become strong. Could anybody have thought that the apostle Paul was inside of Saul of Tarsus? God knew. God knew the passion and the strength that was in this man, and he deployed him to preach the truth. Brothers and sisters, what's wrong? In 1 Peter chapter 4 and verses 12, Peter wanted you to understand. Peter, who knew he was going to be martyred, he said, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trials which is to try you, as though some strange thing, Lord, they don't speak to me. Lord, have mercy, they don't like me. Lord, they don't invite me to their homes and to their parties and to their gatherings and to their fellowships. Lord, they talk about my faith and my church. Well, what is it you expect? Peter said, don't think it's strange when people don't like you. They didn't like Jesus. And if you claim you believe in him, they don't like you either. And Peter went on to say in verses 13, but rejoice, rejoice in so much as you are partakers 
of Christ's suffering, that when his glory is revealed, you may be glad with exceeding joy. Brothers and sisters, we've got to keep this in mind at all times. Peter said in 1 Peter 3, 13 and 14, who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? He says, if you do right, right ought to come. But he went on to say in verses 14, but if you suffer for righteousness sake, happy are you and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. The richest people on the planet Earth have targeted Christianity. Have you noticed they're not targeting the exotic religions? They're not targeting many of the popular faiths and many of the politically correct uh, uh, deities, so to speak. They're targeting Christians. You're public enemy number one. And we've got to understand what is the world's problem with us? Peter tells us what their problem is with us. In 1 Peter chapter 4 and verses 4, Peter says, and he gives his sobering teaching to God's people, wherein they think it strange that you run not with them in the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. In essence, you say, no, wait a minute now, that's a child in that womb. That's a human being. No, God told Jeremiah, before I formed thee in the belly, before I formed thee in your mother's womb, I knew thee. We don't have any better sense than to quote the Bible. We don't have any better sense to say that God, in the beginning, God brought Eve to Adam, and Adam was made the first prophet. Adam looked at Eve, a female, and said, she is bones of my bones. She is flesh of my flesh. She shall be called Isha because she was taken out of each, a woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. You see, the problem is you don't walk with them when they say, no, that's not right anymore. When a tribunal puts their robes on and sits on their law books and changes God's book, you say, uh-uh, you can't change God's book. You can't change God's law. You can't change God's way. And you can't change God's word. We stand on the power of God, so therefore they think it's strange. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and verses 2, the apostle Paul, before he lays his head on Nero's chopping block, he says, the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in latter times men shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and the doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Lord have mercy, what type of conscience can lay a child like I heard a politician say on television and couldn't believe what I was hearing? That can take a seven, eight-month-old formed child and say, we're just going to lay him over here and keep him comfortable until he dies. It sounds a whole lot like murder to me. I don't know about you. But you see, they think it's strange when we don't run in the same excess. 
of evil. Brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, when the Hebrews were ready to quit, ready to give up, the Hebrew writer didn't say, well, I told you all it was going to be hard. But you know what? If you feel like you need to quit, you need to quit. If you can't make it, you need to quit. If you can't stand, you need to know. You know what he said to them? He says, when time when you ought to be teachers, you ought to be the example. You ought to be the rock. When time when you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again would be the first principles of the oracles of God. The Hebrew writer says, this great cloud of witnesses that he spoke about and fate's hall of fame in chapter 11. He said, when God needed Noah, Noah stood. When God needed Abraham, Abraham had faith. When God needed Joseph, he was pure. As he goes through that hall of fame, each one of them stood in their time. When they tell you, when they tell you, look, you need to, Lay down all those beliefs you have. Close that old Bronze Age book. Walk out of that church singing and praying and get with the program. They're going to tell you this on all the major networks as pearly teeth, pretty face folks sit there and sell you the ugliness of sin. They want you to get along with the program. But you need to remember something. Peter told them very clearly, as I think all three brothers alluded to tonight in their sermons, he said, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, and he calls him by name, the devil. I don't care what their given name from their parents is. He says their name is the devil. And he says a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. Can you stand? Then you need to hear the word of God. You need to believe that Jesus is the son of God. You need to decide to stop following everybody else or repent of your sins and start following Jesus. You need to let the Lord know, Lord, you stood for me and I'm going to stand with you and confess that you are the son of God. You need to bury your old man, rise again, walk in the newness of life and be what God intends for you to be. And if you've fallen away, you have lost your faith. Regain it, restore it, revive it, reclaim it, and stand without fear before the world and say, I'm with Jesus. We want to thank Brother Eric Owens and the Avondale Church of Christ for putting this wonderful event together. We thank you, brother. We thank the elders of that congregation. And we thank all of you who have stood and listened and prayed for the benefit of this great work. Thank you so much. We ask God to bless the church, bless his people, and we see you next time.